0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Week three of our Ruth study. If this is your first time with us, uh, we are going through a seven, sort of seven step. Bible study method. Um, I don't think it will be too hard for you to just jump in and follow along with us. And for those of you who've been with us from the beginning, hopefully it's becoming more and more familiar to you. And this is something that you can take with you home and do on some books on your own or with a friend after this study. As always, we wanna open our study in a time of prayer and just welcome the Holy Spirit into our time. So if you would join me in prayer. Jesus, we love you so much and we just welcome you into our study of the book of Ruth. Uh, We invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of our study. Lord, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to what you have to speak to us through this book that was written thousands of years ago but is still so relevant to us today. Uh, For those of us who are familiar with this book, I pray that we would have open eyes and minds to see new things and new treasures out of this book, and ultimately that we would walk away changed and transformed to look more like you. I pray these things in your name, amen. Can you guys hear me okay? Am I loud enough? Okay, David's like, Louder, okay. (laughs) I'll try. Okay, so we're gonna be picking up where we left off from our story last week. And when we left off our story last week, Naomi had just returned to the village of Bethlehem after 10 long years of being away. And a lot has changed for her, as we know, in those 10 years. When she last left Bethlehem, she had a husband, she had two sons, and now that she's coming back, both Elimelech, her husband, and her two sons have died. And in her own words, remember, she says, when I left, I went away full, but now I have come back empty. But we know, as the readers, that this isn't quite true she hasn't come back completely empty because who does she have with her she has ruth a faithful uh, daughter-in-law who has chosen to forsake her home her country her family to go with naomi to a strange land and does anyone remember when chapter one ends and naomi and ruth enter bethlehem what time is it the beginning of the barley harvest and that's gonna be important for chapter two. So I'm gonna go ahead and read chapter two and I would encourage you to follow along with me. So this is page five of the handout and I would just encourage you as we read this together to already be paying attention to the details. So if you wanna have a pen in hand and if something jumps out at you, feel free to mark it down Uh, We're already kind of starting to observe just in this first reading. All right, so Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Chapter two. This is uh, I think my favorite chapter actually in the book. David and I were dividing up sort of which chapters we would take and this is one that I really wanted to do. Uh, There's so many beautiful moments in this chapter. Okay, so uh, step three in our Bible study is genre. And if you've been with us the last two weeks, David has actually talked a lot about the genre of Ruth, which is historical narrative. And as historical narrative, that means that we're gonna be paying very close attention to characters, setting, conflict, resolution. These are the core features of narratives. That's gonna be our focus as we get into our study. Step four is history. This is when we're getting familiar with the historical, cultural setting of the book that we're studying. And just a little bit of review. So last week, David talked about how the story of Ruth is set during the time period of the judges. The time period of the judges. Can someone tell me something they remember about this era in Israel's history? How is it described? Maybe something going on. What do you guys remember about the era of the judges? Yeah, great. There's this phrase that's repeated throughout Judges that the people did what was right in their own eyes. Turns out Those were not great things. Yeah, yeah, sad face. It's not a good time in the history of Israel. Yeah, anyone else wanna share something they remember about that time period? The judges. Yeah, well said. So this is a time period, there's no king, And instead they're led by these judges who are these military leaders who are rescuing Israel from oppression. And the reason they're being oppressed is because they have fallen into spiritual decay. So what I want you guys to remember about the time period of judges is that this is one of the darkest time periods in Israel's history. It's famous for being an era of their history where people are lawless they are violent, they are corrupt. And this beautiful story of Ruth is taking place right in the middle of that dark era. So this is our big picture setting of Ruth. What I wanna do for you is I'm gonna share with you just three pieces of background information that I think is gonna help us in specifically understanding chapter two of Ruth, okay? We have to talk about harvesting. This is really what you guys wanted to know on your Wednesday night is about harvesting in Bethlehem. This is uh, important to talk about specifically in chapter two. So our story is taking place in Bethlehem, which hopefully you guys can see on the map, just a few miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. Bethlehem at this time period is not prominent at all. This is sort of an obscure, tiny little town, or you might even call it a village in Israel. It's estimated there are around one to 200 people that live in this town. Um, I don't know if any of you are from a town that small, but it's kind of the epitome of everyone knows everyone in Bethlehem. Also in this time period, Uh, the people who live in villages of this size in Israel, they have what's called a subsistence economy, which essentially just means that everyone is barely getting by. They're barely making it. So in a subsistence economy, you are raising animals, you are planting crops, and what you get from that is just going to get you by that year, that season that month. You're never quite getting ahead, you're just making what you need to survive. These are harsh uh, times to live in. Because of that, you rely on your family, your clan. You are not an individual. You are part of a family and that's the only way you survive in this world. Bethlehem specifically is predominantly an agricultural society and the most important crops that they harvested were barley and wheat. Now the barley harvest in Israel would begin around mid-April and it would last for a couple of weeks and then the wheat harvest would start and that would last until May or early June. So in total, this harvest season is lasting about six weeks. This is important for Ruth because it's going to give us some of our timing. So we know that Ruth and Naomi come to Bethlehem in spring. Ruth begins working in the fields in April and then Boaz invites her to work in his fields all the way through the end of the wheat harvest, about six weeks. So that's kind of a feel for the time frame of this, these chapters. One more thing that's interesting to note about harvesting in the ancient world is that this is one of the very few times in ancient culture where both the men and the women would actually work together. So in ancient cultures, those worlds are very separate. The men's work, the women's work, but harvest was an exception. You had men and women working together. And the reason for this is because there was urgency. We need to get the harvest in, our year depends on it. And so you would have men and women not only working together, but when they would take their breaks, they would be eating together, which is not something that's unusual for us at all, but would be uh, unique in the ancient world. That brings us to the gleaning laws of Israel. Another thing I know you were dying to hear about on your Wednesday evening. I mean, you guys probably were actually. The gleaning laws of Israel. I'm gonna read from you a passage from Israel's law. This is coming out of the book of Deuteronomy. And I want you to listen to what the Lord says to farmers in Israel. This is Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22. The Lord says, when you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, widows, Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, the orphans, the widows. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vineyard, the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. So you're a farmer, you're in a subsistence economy, you need every bit, and yet the Lord says, don't go back twice, leave it. And there's a trio that gets named three times in this short passage. The foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. And if you've spent much time in Old Testament law, you know that this trio comes up over and over and over again. So my question to you is, why these three? What do these three have in common with one another? Outcasts? Minorities? Vulnerable. Sorry, you said yeah. No family. David shared last week about this patriarchal culture. Your family is going to provide you with protection, physically, legal protection, uh, food, clothing, shelter. So you have the most vulnerable of society. That's what this trio represents. Now, our character Ruth actually fits two of these, right? She's not just a foreigner, but she's also a widow among the most vulnerable of her society. And notice, in this passage, what reason does the Lord give for why you should do this? Mm -hmm. What's gonna provide them food? Yeah. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. You know what it's like to have nothing you know what it's like to be vulnerable, you know what it feels like to be outcast, to not have family, to be oppressed, so you have compassion. You know what it felt like, you know what you wanted from the community around you, so now you also have compassion. Now, is this law enforced, the way we would think of a law being enforced? There's no federal government coming after you to make sure you do this. There is no police in Bethlehem checking on you. That's how the law is. It's the Lord saying, here's how I want you to live, but it's up to you whether you follow this law. Okay, last of our three pieces of background before we get into the text is I need to talk briefly about the word redeem and redeemer. This is a word we're gonna talk about again next week and the following week, so I'm just really gonna introduce it. But I have to talk about it because at the end of chapter two, you may have caught this in our reading, Naomi makes this statement about Boaz. She says, he is one of our redeemers. What does she mean by that? Well, the first thing we need to know is that the word redeem is not a spiritual word. It's a word that was taken from everyday life in ancient tribal culture. Now that's important for us to know because over time the word redeem has come to carry such powerful significance to Christians, right? Because we talk about how God redeemed us with the blood of Jesus. That word has heavy theological significance. So it's really hard for us to hear the word redeem and not think about God. But actually this word in its origin was not spiritual or religious at all. The word itself means to reclaim, to recover, or to buy back. And redeemers were kinsmen, family members, patriarchs, who would step up to do what was necessary to make sure that their family member was safe and secure. That's what it meant to be a redeemer. And this could look a lot of different ways. So, for example, if you live in this culture and you were impoverished, a lot of times you would be forced to sell your family land to make money to survive. A redeemer would step in, buy back the land, redeem the land back into the family. Another really heartbreaking thing in the ancient world is that if you were absolutely destitute, you could not buy yourself the next meal. You could actually sell yourself into slavery just to be cared for, to get food. A redeemer would be a family member who comes to buy you back, literally buy you back out of slavery, back into the family, right? A leader of the family that would say, no, you're part of our family, I'm gonna take the cost to go get you, buy you back, redeem you. This could also be used and is used in some stories in Genesis, if a foreign enemy comes and kidnaps or takes some of your property, a redeemer would be one that rides out after them, reclaims and rescues those people, that property, back to the family. So we're gonna continue to develop this word redeemer, especially in chapter three and four, when they become central to our story. But I do wanna set the stage, because I think this explains a little bit why Naomi reacts the way she does at the end of chapter two, right? She hears that Boaz is a relative, a close relative, and she says, he's one of our redeemers. He could become one of our redeemers. Questions, that's all we're gonna do for our background for chapter two. Anything that you need me to say again, clarify? Doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's not 100% clear what happened to the property when Elimelech left. Um, Naomi and Ruth don't have any legal claim to it. Um, So even though technically in our culture, we would say, oh, your family, that was your husband's land, that's your land. Um, That's not the way it worked. They actually don't have claim to their own land right now. Um, So when Elimelech moves to Moab, he's essentially forfeiting his family land which if you know anything about Israel, you know their land is such a big deal. It's a gift from the Lord. So when he goes to Moab, that's actually a big move of sort of abandoning his family inheritance. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the state of it is, if someone else owns it and it needs to be bought. Um, That does come up again in chapter four. Yeah, it's a good question. in regards to the land or to slaves? Yeah, so in the law, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, the question was about this year of Jubilee. And if you read the law, there is a provision that at the end of 50 years, if land has been lost to a family, that it becomes returned. That way, the tribes of Israel always maintain their family inheritance. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, did Israel actually do this? Were they faithful to do it? Maybe not, but that's what the law asked of them to do. Um, Riz, do you have a charger for your computer? Okay, great. Yeah, great question. Yeah, bless you. All right. We are going to get into the chapter now. You guys are gonna get into the chapter in our observation step. Um, feel free to use the colored pencils or if you have your own pen, pens that you wanna use. I'm going to guide you in a few observations and I think we say this every time, but feel free to, to notice what you see as well. If something jumps out at you, mark it down. Um, These are just a few things that we think are the most important. And the way we're going to do it tonight is we're actually going to split the room in half. So for the tables over here, um, let's say like the three black tablecloth tables and then this one up front, you guys. I'm going to have you guys looking for this first observation. So how are Ruth, Boaz, and the Lord described in this chapter? Um, You might want to just pick a different color for each one and just comb through the text and look for descriptors, characteristics of these three characters. And then for this half of the room, I'm going to have you guys looking for two things. One is repetitions. You guys are familiar with this by now. What words, phrases, or ideas are repeated in the text? Remember, it doesn't have to be the exact same word. It could just be a similar idea that comes up multiple times. And then the second thing I want this half of the room to be looking for are commands, okay? So maybe pick two different colors, one for repetition, one for commands, and then mark those down. And I'm gonna give you some time to do that. We'll get together and share what we found. Any questions? All right, beautiful. Let's bring it back together, and we're gonna just share corporately, that way both groups can kind of catch up to what the other group was observing. So we'll go start with this half of the room, who you guys were hopefully <laughs> observing characters. Um, let's start with Ruth. Uh, what are some things you guys noticed from the text that describe her? Moabite, obedient, young, oh yeah, David, okay. Please share the verse reference so then the other group can follow along. Sorry, I did not tell you that. Um, Yep, we have Moabite right at the beginning, verse two. Yeah. Nice. In verse six it says she's a Moabite and then again it says from the country of Moab. Just in case you didn't know she was a Moabite, they kind of repeat it in a different way. So you're just sure she's a Moabite, she's not from here, yeah. Verse 21. And 21, the narrator, make sure we know. Moabite, Ruth, the Moabite, yeah. Yeah, so good, okay. This is great because it's not like a direct description, oh she's hardworking, but we hear that she comes in the early morning and she's been working with nothing but a sh- one short rest, yeah. So we get a little glimpse into the kind of woman that she is, yeah, great. Anything else from chapter two, Ruth? Five and six. Yeah, great. Good eye. Whose young woman is this? She is the young Moabite. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Boaz gives us a little recap of chapter one. I heard about chapter one. I heard what you did. You left your parents, your safety net, and you came to a foreign place. For who? He says, for Naomi. You did all of that for her. Yeah. Something else? Yeah, and Boaz has heard about it. Small town, he's heard about her. Yeah, okay, so Naomi addresses her as my daughter and then Boaz also refers to her as my daughter. So this is both like a term of endearment, but it may also emphasize age difference between the two of them. And that's gonna come up again in chapter three. Uh, Most people think, uh, most scholars think that Ruth would probably be mid-20s and Boaz would be mid-40s. So not like crazy, crazy age difference, but in the ancient world, that would be pretty big, I guess, age difference, so that my daughter. Um, But it is also a term of endearment. It's kind of like a, uh, yeah, he doesn't call her the Moabite, he calls her my daughter, yeah. Great. All right, what about Boaz? How is Boaz described in chapter two? It's our new character. Oh, Naomi blesses him at the end of the chapter? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Naomi blesses him at the end of the chapter after she sees what he did for Ruth, yeah. Oh yeah, here, here in the back? Yeah, Clan of Elimelech, that gets brought up a couple of times. It's going to be important. Yeah, great. hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So Ruth uh, is describing Boaz in a way that says, hey, you've comforted me, you've spoken kindly to me. This is the way that you're speaking, yeah. Yeah, okay, so verse one, he's described as a worthy man. The word worthy uh, can be translated a lot of different ways. Um, A man of integrity is probably the most common. Man of integrity. Man of influence, um, a man of high standing, worthy, um, a worthy man. So that's the narrator telling us right in the beginning. It's a good guy before the story even starts. Yeah. One of our redeemers. Yeah. Um, verse Verse 20. Naomi says he is a close relative, one of our redeemers. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that opening uh, formula, have I not charged you. Um, that's also speaking to Boaz as a man of authority in his community. So you're gonna notice, you guys who observe the commands, most of them, if not all of them, are Boaz. So when he comes on the scene, he's a person of authority and um, this, the charged, commanded, uh, you can tell he's the one sort of in charge of the domain, this whole scene, yeah. Yeah, that's a good connection. There's these little uh, connecting phrases, yeah. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so verse 20, it's kinda debated whether Naomi is talking about Boaz or the Lord. You could read it either way, which is interesting, yeah. Is she talking about the kindness of Boaz or the kindness of the Lord? Could be both. Yeah, that's good. All right, anything else on Boaz? And then lastly, I did add, because there are a couple of things about the Lord that are mentioned in the chapter. What do you guys see? Yeah. Good. Yeah, verse 12. May the Lord repay you. This is a prayer. Boaz prays over Ruth. Great. Okay. Repetitions and commands. What did you guys find over here? The word glean, yeah. The harvest, gleaning, reaping, this is our setting, that's great. Yeah, the word Lord is repeated. Uh, it, the, I think the first time is when Boaz, he comes out onto the field and how does he greet his, the workers under him? The Lord be with you. And they respond back, The Lord bless you. So there's all this greeting right away when Boaz first comes on the scene where he's talking about the Lord, yeah. And then it's repeated a few times. Great. Favor, yeah. Where did you see the word favor? Yeah, so in three, Ruth is going out to the field and she says, maybe I'll find favor. And then she tells Boaz, I have found favor in your eyes. Yeah. And then when's the next one? 13. 13. Oh yeah, I have found favor in your eyes, yeah. Great. Any other repetitions you guys noticed? I know this came up with Ruth, but you guys notice how often she's described as a Moabite. Several times. How about some of the commands? Yeah, can you share like who is commanding who to do what? Just maybe a a brief summary so that we can all follow along. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah, that's a good summary. So we have Boaz commanding the people around him in favor of Ruth, and there's a lot of those in this chapter, and we're gonna look at some of them in our interpretation. Great job, guys. All right, I know we say this every week. These are three that we pick. If you are doing this on your own, the goal of this is just slow down, read the text, notice what stands out to you. Different things are gonna stand out to you than to me. Uh, This is just a way to kind of guide us all in the same conversation. But anything you see in the text is an observation. So these aren't the only three by any means, okay? All right, so my favorite part of Bible study is interpretation. This is when we get to ask, what does this mean? Uh, You guys have done great so far in sort of holding back and just saying, here's what the text says, here's what I found in the verse. But now we can discuss what some of the significance is, the meaning of this specific chapter. Okay, so uh, I have a couple of questions that have come up in my study, and I'm gonna have you guys discuss uh, what you think uh, the answers are in groups. So you can stay at your tables if you wanna group together with a couple of different tables, whatever you wanna do. Uh, But the first question that I wanna ask is about a repetition. So you guys may have noticed that multiple times in the story it's repeated that Ruth should not go to anyone else's field. Do you guys notice this in the chapter? It's not just once, it's not just twice, it's three times, Boaz says it twice and then Naomi agrees and says, yeah, you should not do that, you need to stay in this field stay with Boaz, and again, there's this emphasis, stay close to Boaz's women, don't go to another field. Um, In the the culture of this day, uh, it would just be this massive, massive field, and it wouldn't be divided by big fences, it would just be boundary stones. And so you could very easily cross in between different families' fields, and most widows or impoverished uh, people gleaning would, would cross over to many different fields to get as much as they could, And multiple times we have this command, don't do that, stay here. So my question is, uh, why this command and what is it revealing about the setting of our story? Okay, what is it revealing about the setting of our story? So I'm only going to give you a few minutes, but if you want to talk to the person next to you or if you want to group up a couple tables, uh, discuss with yourselves for a few minutes and then I want to hear what you come up with. what a time to be alive then there's these ominous which you're hinting at these ominous phrases that are repeated throughout the chapter and you start to get the picture that Ruth is in a dangerous situation out there gleaning she's at risk and um, this comes up a few times Um, one the most explicit reference is Naomi right because what does she say at the end of the chapter she says don't leave Boaz's field otherwise you may be assaulted, that's the strongest word used in the chapter. So right away, all of a sudden, we're reminded of how vulnerable Ruth is actually. Um, Because in that time, right, uh, a widow already would be vulnerable. Because if, if a woman was assaulted, again, the police are not coming. Who seeks vengeance? Your Family, yeah, your redeemer, your family. If you have no family, no one. there's no repercussions. You are vulnerable. And not only that, she's living during the time period of the judges, right? So this is a lawless time. So it's just reminding us of the vulnerability of Ruth and kind of the dangerous situation she's put herself in out in the fields, away from town, alone. She's also a foreigner. So you kind of have these levels of just who would care, right, if she was assaulted? Because she's not from here. There's maybe some prejudice against uh, Moabites, which we've talked about last week. Yeah, good. What else? What else does this do in our, in our setting? Does anyone have a different element? Yeah, here and then here. So good. Yeah, okay, that struck me as well. So I don't know if you guys heard that. Um, This is highlighting Boaz, because essentially what he's saying is, I don't trust you in any other field. It's not like, hey, you can stay in mine. I have a good friend who's gonna be great over there. You get the feeling like he's sort of standing alone in this protection for Ruth. He's kind of going against what's normal in these other areas, yeah. Yeah, okay, so this is great. Why might it be harmful for Ruth not to go anywhere else? Um, Just based on like, okay, you're a widow, you're out gleaning, oh, I'm only limited to one field. Your concern is what? I might not get enough. So we're gonna see Boaz, we'll talk about in a little bit, make extra provision to make sure that doesn't happen. She can stay and get everything she needs. She doesn't have to go anywhere else, right? It's good. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I I have to say, I have been thinking about that a lot this week when I've been preparing this chapter for that same reason. Um, There's a lot of vulnerable people in our world today. And it's hard to read the story of Ruth and how vulnerable she is to oppression and not think of people in our world, whether it's in Ukraine or in other situations that are similar. And... Yeah, it's one of the reasons why this chapter's so powerful and so relevant and Boaz's response, I think, has a lot to teach us about how to respond when we're faced with those uh, kind of people in our communities. Uh, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, and that's going to get us into uh later on we're going to talk about this idea that Boaz says, "Oh, you've come back under the wings of the Lord to take refuge." This idea that by coming back to Bethlehem, coming back to Israel, they've come back under the protection of the Lord. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It's a patriarchal time. Mhm. Yeah, won't be Yeah, and that oh, comes man. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you notice that uh, multiple times in the chapter, Boaz commands his own laborers not to touch Ruth, not just once, uh, three times in the chapter. So again, you're, you're, Boaz is starting to stand out, right, as somebody who in his community is different from the rest. Okay, we're gonna keep moving uh, for the sake of time. So this is a very open question, so I'm curious to see what you guys come up with. Um, In the very first verse of this chapter, Boaz is introduced to us as a worthy man, and I already told you guys that word in Hebrew uh, means a man of integrity, a man of integrity. And so I want you guys to specifically look at his actions, his commands in this chapter, and talk about what ways does Boaz demonstrate in this chapter that he is a man of integrity? So we've talked about some of them already and really you can go down the list but I want you guys just what's standing out to you to discuss that and then we'll share together. So how does Boaz's actions demonstrate that he's a man of integrity? So take a few minutes, discuss it amongst yourselves and then we will come back together. Discussion and have it corporately. All right, this is a very broad question. There's lots of potential answers to this. What are some thoughts? Excellent. Nice. Excellent, yeah. Like we were talking about he could she's like, Oh, you're doing so much for me and he could have been like, Yes, I know. I know. You're welcome. Yeah. But he's like, No, it's because of you. So he's like giving the credit back to her. Yeah, this is great. So Boaz has heard there's a Moabite woman in Bethlehem who came back with Naomi and hears this story. And I like that you pointed out his reaction to her Uh, almost like his reaction to her integrity by noticing it, by seeing it, by rewarding it. Actually, is speaking about his character too, that he values those things, even though she is a Moabite, even though she's a foreigner. Um, Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Like, no, please, no. Nobody's checking up. yeah, there's nobody checking up on him. Like the more you learn about tribal ancient tribal Israel in a small town especially Boaz he is the field owner like nobody is above him coming to check up on him and she has no family um, yeah yeah and right he throws his weight um in the way of if also anyone under me messes with her then you will actually have consequences, right? Because he's commanded his men three times, don't reproach her, don't rebuke her, don't touch her. Um, So he's not only protecting her like himself, but then creating a space where she's safe. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, okay, the water, do you guys notice that? Whenever you're thirsty, come to the water. So this is a piece of uh, little like, background information, but they're very far from town. Uh, Bethlehem doesn't have any natural like, water source, so there's no rivers, like natural wells, so everything's, all their water is collected into cisterns, which means the water that Ruth is drinking has been carried out to these fields in clay jars, on donkeys, and it's reserved for his workers. And it is a coveted thing, like she would not have had access to that water. And no doubt she was unable to carry her own jar of water out to the fields. And so just that little thing, I know you're probably thirsty. Anytime you're thirsty, you come to these jars that are made for my employees and you drink, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned a phrase, he went above what was expected. So a follow up question, how does what Boaz does correspond to that law that I read to you from Deuteronomy. Yeah, so, okay, it's related, yeah. Because, um, uh, is, uh, widow. Yep, fits but the qualifications. That's why he knows that. The law. the law. Yeah, Boaz is keeping the law Yeah. Yeah, so good. It's beautiful, right? Like he could have just said, I'm gonna do the letter of the law, which is yeah, you can follow behind my guys and you can glean, which would have been a blessing. But then he goes above and beyond and says, not only that, drink the water if you're thirsty. And what does he tell his, his men to do? Actually pull out extra for her. When it says that she goes back home, it says she has an effa of barley, so that means nothing to us because we don't measure things in ephahs. Um, this is between 30 to 50 pounds that she carries home. This would be the average salary of one of your laborers for one month's worth of work, okay? And most likely this is because his workers, right, are leaving for her specifically. And so you see this abundance, and Dave and I were talking about this uh, earlier today with this going above the law. It's like he didn't just do the letter of the law, but he captured the heart of the law, which was to care for the widow. Yeah, you can check a box and say, okay, I let you glean, but yeah, my my workers harassed you. But he goes above and beyond the letter of the law and actually fulfills the heart, the spirit of the law, which is actually make sure she's okay, make sure she's good, care for her. So we see that picture, yeah, so good. Okay, last one, we have to get to this one. Um, I think this is the most beautiful verse in the book. If I had to pick one verse that's like the key verse of Ruth, I would pick chapter two, verse Twelve. So Boaz is talking to Ruth, and he prays a blessing over her. He says, Lord, the Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now that picture of taking refuge under um, the wings of the Lord is actually pretty popular in the Old Testament. in Psalms 91.4, David writes that the Lord will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. And yet, how has Ruth done this? How has Ruth come under the wings of the Lord to take refuge? What does Boaz mean by this? Yeah. <laughs> Either. I was just noticing just uh, though Jehovah's is for, like providing so much for her. He still like is aligned with the fact that like it's from the Lord. And it's almost like it is it is only through the Lord that he's that is being provided. Almost. Yeah. Like For what specifically? Because I think that's, I think you're on to it. Yeah. Through him. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yes. I think it's <laughs> the because, um, it's so Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Boaz sees her faithfulness. And then he prays, yeah, Lord bless you. You've come under his wings to find refuge. Yeah. 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 Zach. Yeah. So here you have a widow, who, like all like Moabites, worshipped Moabite gods. She follows Naomi. Because she's faithful to Naomi, but in doing so, she's forsaking her gods and she's going to the land of Yahweh, like the land of the Lord. This is a new God. Does she know much about him? We don't know. We don't know how much Naomi shared with her, but it's a foreign God. So she comes to this land, and Boaz says, You've come under, now you're under the wing of the Lord, the God of Israel. And how does she? How is she protected by the wing of the Lord? Through the actions of Boaz. And I think uh, what you're saying is so great because there's this partnership going on where the Lord is protecting Ruth, but Boaz is protecting Ruth. The Lord is protecting Ruth through the actions of Boaz. I think the clearest way to see this picture is this prayer, right? Because Boaz says, God bless you. What if he had prayed that over Ruth and then done nothing, practically, no action to actually be the hands and feet of the Lord to her? Boaz prays, Lord bless you for what you've done, and then he does it, he blesses her and actually is the hands and feet of the Lord, that wing of refuge that she's under. And he says, I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna give you food, I'm gonna give you water, I'm gonna give you a safe place to work. He's almost the fulfillment of his own prayer, and yet he still sees it as, but it's really the Lord's protection. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the two lords. Um, yeah, the capital L, like Lord, that's the proper name of God, Yahweh, is the Hebrew, Yahweh. Um, and then the lowercase, that's like a term of respect. Yeah, yeah, good. Good attention to detail. Yeah, mm hmm, yeah. Yeah, Naomi doesn't get a lot of credit, does she? That's a good point, yeah. She's a woman that Ruth would give up everything to follow. I didn't think of that before, good point. All right, so we have a few minutes left and um, we need to bring this story, we kind of have a little bit, but we need to fully bring this conversation to today and to how this story impacts the way that we live, the way that we behave. And uh, if you guys have been to some of our studies before, you've probably heard us say about application that each one of us can hear the same truth and the Holy Spirit can prompt a very different application in each one of us because we are unique, we're in unique situations in life. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna share with you some of the, the applications that were prompted for me and then uh, we'll end with you guys just discussing with one another some things that maybe were stirred in you and maybe they're similar to me, maybe they're completely different, uh, but we're all in different stages of life and so I think that's a beautiful thing too. So uh, Boaz, I have to say, chapter one, Ruth is like the superstar. Chapter two, Boaz, these are all about Boaz. Um, Okay, so the first question that I was kind of prompted to ask when I was doing my application uh, was, do I use the position and authority that I have to speak up for the vulnerable in my sphere of influence? Um, And this is kind of what I think Riz was getting at earlier when we were talking about Boaz using his position. So we know that in his little community, he is actually a very wealthy, powerful man. In our standards, not so much. But in his world, he was. And he used that circle, that sphere, to speak up for someone who didn't really have a voice in that community. And it reminded me of one of my favorite verses from Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, which says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And I see Boaz doing this in his way, in his setting, in his world, when he offers care to Ruth. Uh, The next question that I was asking myself in my application was, do I view the mundane aspects of my work and life as insignificant in the kingdom of God? How can these seemingly small moments be used by the Lord? Uh, Something that struck me about Boaz in this chapter is that he's just going about his everyday life. He's coming to the fields and he's checking on his laborers during harvest. It's just an everyday activity in a tiny, seemingly insignificant town thousands of years ago. But he's paying attention and he notices Ruth and he sees a potential injustice and he I'll use the word redeems, Um, not intentionally, redeems this situation. And it's just such a, what I love about Ruth uh, chapter two is it's such an everyday type of scenario. Um, And I don't think Boaz thought he was doing anything so significant that day when he noticed Ruth. I don't think he knew what would actually come of that moment. We can looking back. Um, And I think for us, uh, we were talking a little bit about Ukraine. Uh, It can be very tempting to look at the situation going on in the world and to become so overwhelmed and feel like, well, I can't do anything to impact these global situations. And I'm sure that Boaz knew he lived during this awful time where his country was corrupt and dark. And he probably thought, I can't do anything to change my nation but I can do something in my everyday life, my sphere, the thing that God has given me in my town, my world, and I can do the right thing. Um, I love this quote, it comes from a commentary on Ruth. Uh, Boaz took an ordinary occasion and transformed it into a glorious demonstration of compassion, generosity, and acceptance. And then lastly, uh, is there something that I'm praying about for God to act that I should be acting on myself as the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. So this is something that struck me that I never really noticed about chapter two is that prayer of Boaz that God would bless her and then he himself blesses her. Um, How awful it would have been, right, for him to pray that prayer and then not offer her food. And so for me, yeah, there's definitely gonna be times where I'm praying for something and I can't do anything to bring it about. But there's gonna be other times where I'm gonna be praying and God's like, well you have a part to actually play in seeing this fulfilled in the person you're praying for. You know, maybe it's a lost family member and you're praying for them and God says, hey, here's something you can say to them. Here's how you can actually be a part of seeing this prayer fulfilled. All right, I know we're just like two minutes over, but can we take just a couple of minutes and share at our tables maybe something that for you was standing out in this chapter that you feel like maybe the Holy Spirit was nudging you in, stirring you in? Could be similar to these or something totally different. Um, I just wanna give us time to actually personalize it ourselves. So just take a couple minutes and share and then um, I will close us in, in prayer. leaving more time at the end. Uh, Thank you guys so much for diving in. Uh, I've said this before, but I always learn so much in discussion times and learning from different perspectives. I always hear something new and it makes me think of things in new ways. So thank you guys for being uh, comfortable enough to share at your tables and then also as a group. It blesses me. Uh, Let me just pray and then we'll close for the evening. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this little book. Um, I pray that as we walk out of this room this evening, that we would look and act more like you. I pray that the thing that the Holy Spirit was nudging us in as we were studying this chapter, that it would really linger with us this whole week. And as we go about our daily lives, that this story would come to mind and that you would continue to stir us to be people of integrity in our world, in our culture, in our context, and that you would give us eyes to see uh, people like Ruth and take notice of them and ask you how we can be blessings to them this week. Pray these things in your name, amen.